I cannot think of a better New Year's resolution. We just sang it. Now let's pray it. Straight from the heart, right to the Savior. Take a minute. Surrender to Him. I mean, why not, Jesus? We can't even draw a breath without You. We surrender our lives, our children, our grandchildren, our money, talents. To you, we trust you with it. Thank you, Lord, for being here, changing this up from a gathering to a happening. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're singing over us as we sing to you. What an amazing thing. We just love you. We pray you're uplifted and exalted through Christ. In his name we pray. Thank you. Be seated. Okay, so 40 years ago, Mount St. Helens erupted. Some of you probably remember that. They said that it erupted with a destructive force 500 times more powerful than the atomic bomb we dropped in World War II. Now, folks, that's a lot of energy. And uh, Harry R. Truman, no relation to the president at all, lived just north of the summit on Mount St. Helens. He owned a resort there, and in 1980, officials warned him over and over and over again that he needed to evacuate. But Harry had lived there all his life, and at the age of 83, he said there was no ranger and no geologist, despite all their evidence of a catastrophe, that was going to convince him to get off the mountain to safety. No, sir, I'm staying, he said. He said the mountain had always been good to him, and he didn't see why it would change now. And so he and his 16 cats, that ought to tell you all you need to know right there. He and his 16 cats stayed put. Now, Harry was no dummy. He had built this resort up to a multi-million dollar. He had 100 boats that he rented on Spirit Lake. Had a couple of pink Cadillacs in his garage. He had a lot of money. But most of you remember the story. May 18th, 1980, in the twinkling of an eye, he lost everything. And all the pink Cadillacs and all the money couldn't buy him his way out. And, and all the denial of what was coming couldn't stop what came, and he was buried under 100 feet of ashes and water. Now, in nearby Castle Rock, there's a memorial for Harry Truman, and the locals don't want it there. They said they didn't want to put a memorial up to somebody who wouldn't listen to reason and who denied the undeniable. I don't think I blame him for that. What I want to talk to you about this morning, to start the new year, I've mentioned three or four times over the past four or five months probably, but I wanted to start the new year talking about this a little bit. I've been in the book of Revelation for several weeks, that ought to tell you. And I'm telling you, the Bible tells us that one day, maybe not in our lifetime, but maybe this afternoon, the earth is going to be destroyed by fire. And it's going to be destroyed with a force that we have no idea <laughs> I mean, I know we're tough and we have military might and all that stuff. But the Bible says the elements will melt. We can split an atom, but we can't melt one. Only the power of God can do that. And it's coming one day. And there's no memorials to people who deny that's happening. There'll be no memorials to people who thought their wealth could buy them out of it. There'll be no memorials to people who somehow thought they could prevent it. The only way to escape the storm that's coming is to have a deep-rooted relationship in Jesus Christ. And I just thought, let's start the year off, 2020, preparing for the end. I mean, just in case, right? I mean, just in case. 
from the very beginning, we, we see that God created us to love us and for us to love Him back. And then we know the, the thing, sin entered the picture in the garden. And ever since then, all through the Bible, you see God doing everything He can to fix that relationship. And the culmination being Christmas, sending His Son to die on the cross for our sins so that you and I can one day live forever in this euphoric place called heaven. And I've been reading about that in the book of Revelation. And I suggest you read that if you haven't for a while. Uh, this book was written by the Apostle John. I want to talk a little bit about the way he was in exile on the island of Patmos. And while he was in exile, he got a vision from God where he could see the present and the future. Now, most of the book of Revelation deals with the behind-the-scenes dealings between God and Satan, and it's Satan's attack and all that. But there's so much more to the book of Revelation. It's also a promise. The book of Revelation is a promise to all the Christians who have been persecuted and ridiculed, who first read that book, all the way up to the day who are being persecuted and ridiculed. And the promise is this, God wins. I mean, he wins this deal. And I don't mean in a buzzer beater fashion. It's a blowout victory. And if you've not read it for a while, for nothing else, just read that. It's a good story. Now, I will admit that the book of Revelation can be very intimidating mainly because there are several different ways to interpret it, and it mainly uh, revolves around different millennial views. And, and we're not going to be able to talk, have that kind of a theological discussion in one sermon slot. The fact is we don't even have enough time in here to ask the questions, let alone answer them. But it's a fascinating read. It's fascinating. And I'm telling you, if you've not read it for a while, read the book of Revelation and then check out the newspaper. You'll be amazed at some of the things that are going on. But whether or not you are a, a millennial viewer of one way or the other, I love the way Aaron Brockett summarizes the bottom line of the book of Revelation. He says this. He says the bottom line of the book of Revelation is, uh, when the apocalyptic dust settles, isn't that good? When the apocalyptic dust settles, you make sure you're standing beside Jesus Christ. I mean, when the dust settles, whether no matter how this thing unfolds, no matter how long it takes or how quick it comes, you make sure you're standing with Jesus Christ when the dust settles. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. As confusing as the book of Revelation is, there's a couple things we know right off the bat. Number one, nobody knows the time or the day when he's coming back. We've talked about that a lot this year. When's Christ coming back, church? Yeah, we don't know. He said in Acts chapter 1, verse 7, it's not for you to know the times or the dates, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses. And that's what we are. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. That's why we're moving towards becoming disciple-making uh, people, because that's what we should have always been doing. He said, you don't know the time. He said, I'm going to come like a thief in the night. You just be ready and do my work. And that's the kind of church we want to be. We don't want to be the kind of church that's trying to figure out, you know, uh, when Christ is coming back. We just want to watch and pray and be doing what he told us to do when he gets here. So that if he does come this afternoon, we can say, well, look, Lord, we were building the church, even though it doesn't look like we have the money right now, and, and the numbers are down, and we're doing what you told us to do. And we built teams, and, you know, we're going to make disciples. We're so glad you're here. We want to be at his work when he comes. Something else we can know in all the confusion of this book is that if you take the time and the energy to read it, you'll be blessed by it, it says. Blessed in a big way. Now, again, I know it's a tough book. There's all kinds of stuff in there. There's dragons and people eating scrolls and the whore of Babylon and, you know, the four horsemen and the apocalyptic war and famines. And, I mean, you know, it's a tough book. I mean, you put it beside Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And you're probably thinking to yourself, I'd rather read about the shepherd. Uh, no offense. 
But I say read it anyway, because there's a lot of things going on right now. Lots of stuff going on, and everybody knows it, and we need to just read it. It's fascinating stuff. Besides that, you don't want to bump into the Apostle John in heaven someday and have him ask you, how'd you like my book? And you have to say, that's eh, a little weird, man. I didn't read it. That'd be awkward, you know what I mean? Besides, we're supposed to be workmen studying to show ourselves approved, and all Scripture is God-breathed. But the biggest reason we need to go ahead and reread the book of Revelation is what it says in chapter 1, verse 3 in the Amplified Version. It says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this book. Read it out loud. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what's written in it. Lots of blessing with reading the book because the time is near at his. Again, difficult book to read, but in this book, God in his divine wisdom gave John just a peek at heaven. I mean, just a handful of details of heaven that sparked his interest and should spark ours to remind us that Christ is coming back to take us there. So when we get depressed and we get down and we get frustrated and there's a lot of that going on right now, read the book of Revelation and think to yourself, oh my goodness, he's coming to get me. And when he comes to get me, I get to go with him to an amazing place. Listen to Revelation 21, 1 through 3. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared for a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and he himself will be with them. Is that crazy amazing? It's coming for us. Dave Stone says there's basically three main ideas that you can get out of the book of Revelation. And here's the first one. Everybody's going to stand before God someday. You did remember that, right? Every person's going to stand before the Lord someday. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says, It's appointed unto each man once to die and then to face the judgment. And for the non-believer, based on what I've read in the Scripture, it's going to be a long, painful, depressing day of all the choices that they made that were wrong and all the chances they had to accept Christ. Now, for the Christian, we're going to have a lot of bad choices to deal with, too. The difference is we'll be standing next to Jesus who will take care of it for us. It's amazing, amazing. Well, the first thing he talks about is this glimpse of heaven. He gets there. The first thing he sees is a throne, Revelation 4, 1 and 2. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open to heaven. And the voice I had heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, and I'm going to show you what might take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Pretty exciting stuff. In the center of the universe is this throne with God sitting on it. And my point is, when you and I finally get to heaven, the first thing we're not going to see is all the beauty around us. Not the first thing. The first thing we're going to see is the throne of God and Him sitting on it. And it's going to be a fascinating sight because He's going to be there. And I'm going to tell you something else with confidence. If you're in Jesus Christ, you're going to be there too. I can't wait. Yeah. Now, I don't blame John for stumbling around on his words on this thing. I mean, I, I don't know how with the human speech and language we have, you could describe <clears throat> the bells and whistles of heaven anyway. I think he did the best he could, but really? Pearly gates? Transparent gold? You know, I bought uh, my wedding ring well, about 35 and a half years ago at a jewelry shop downtown Martin, Tucky, Martinsville. And uh, it's $29.99. They were going out of business 75% off, so you do the math. I'm still wearing it. It's durable, but you can tell by looking it's not transparent. It's hard for me to imagine gold so pure that's transparent. 
and walls made of sapphire and precious stones and a crystal river running right down through the city. I mean, it's hard for us to imagine something like that. And listen, John just saw it from a distance. But it was just enough for him to get sparked and excited about going there. And I'm going to tell you, I'm excited about it. I can't wait. Now, would I like to wait so Angie and the grandkids and the kids could go with me? Yeah. But I've got to tell you, I pray every day, Lord, come quickly. I'm ready to go. And by the way, if you read through the book of Revelation again, and you see all the stuff that's going to be in heaven, and that doesn't get you excited and whip your appetite to go, then you start looking about the things that aren't going to be there. Because that's pretty exciting too. No more crying or pain. No more fighting or arguments or war. They've raised the, raised the red flag over the mosque in Iran for the first time in history. Declaration of war. There won't be any war in heaven. No blind eyes, no deaf ears. No Alzheimer's or AIDS. No more pink slips from the bosses. No more tear-stained divorce papers. No more flag-draped caskets. No cancer, no heart attack, no tragedy. Unbelievable. And I know that when you and I see that, and we see the glory of God on His throne, all these things in our life right now are going to seem so small. I know they're not small now. I know some of you are going through some major stuff. I know that. I've been through some major stuff. I'm just telling you, when we get there, and we see the glory of God in that place, and Him on the throne, all of these things will be small to us, because we'll be in a new dimension, in a new heaven, in a new earth, with God forever and ever. And I'm just telling you, I know that you are be clamoring right now with all kinds of things trying to get your attention. I know that's why the attendance is down in all of our churches. There are so many things after our attention. I'm just telling you, folks, please, don't miss this. No matter what happens, don't you miss this. When the dust settles, you be standing with Jesus Christ because it's going to be amazing. Here's number two, and you can mark this down and watch it happen. Number two, God's going to keep his word. You can bet on that. I've never caught him in a lie. And all throughout the Bible, we see that God is all about getting us back into a right relationship with him. And when we get to heaven, that's where it starts. In fact, the Bible says, and not only will we be with him in heaven, but we're going to get new glorified bodies. I mean, I'm ready for that. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you should be. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies, so they'll, listen to this, be like His glorious body. Is that crazy amazing? Uh, a teacher was talking to her students, and she said, kids, what do we get from chickens? They said, eggs. She said, good. What do we get from pigs? They said, bacon. She said, excellent. What do we get from fat cows? Somebody in the back said, homework. <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in their defense, I guess that teacher was so ugly, wasps close their eyes before they sting her. You know what I'm talking about? But listen to me, gentlemen, none of that in heaven. Ladies, no ugly in heaven. When we get to heaven in the twinkling of an eye, our bodies are going to be transformed into a glorious body just like his. And I don't know if you remember his post-resurrection, but a lot of times in scriptures, people had to take a double take to make sure it was him. I think it's going to be like that when we get to heaven. People are going to look at you and they well, look at you. Look, look at you. Look at you. You look awesome. Now listen, for somebody like Angie, who's already gorgeous, been through the pretty line two or three times, that's no big deal. But you're talking about somebody as mud ugly as Crucifix or Mel Williams, this is going to be a nasty, wonderful time for you guys. A new glorious body. And I don't know if we're going to be like 15 or 21 or, or like in the prime of our life, like 62. <laughs> but I know we're going to get a new glorious body. This is going to be unbelievable. 
and a good, a good body. A, a lady was talking about she has a teenage brother who has cerebral palsy, and uh, she got a report from her mom, the latest prognosis from the doctor, and she was sitting in the living room reading the letter, and her six-year-old boy came in, and she was crying. And he said, why are you crying, Mommy? And she told him. She said, well, Grandma just sent me a letter, and the doctors say that Uncle Greg is never going to be able to walk. And that makes Mommy sad. And he said, never? She said, never. Not even in heaven, Mommy? And she said, well, yes, when, when Uncle Greg gets to heaven, he'll be able to walk. And she said her six-year-old boy looked up at her and said, well, Mommy, we'll just wait. We'll just wait. She wrote, on that day, I was thankful for a six-year-old who helped me regain my equilibrium. And so we waited about 40 years. And then the waiting ended, and Uncle Greg is walking. When you and I get to heaven, cerebral palsy will be gone in an instant. And you fill in the blank to whatever it is that's ailing you or your family right now, and it will be gone too. It's going to be amazing. And then John says in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For all the old order of things have passed away. Now, wait, 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 John. Who did you just say is going to wipe the tears from our eyes? Jesus is. He's not going to delegate this to somebody else. He's not going to put this on an angelic to-do list. He's not going to pass this along to some saint or great man from the past. Jesus Christ himself is going to raise up his nail-pierced hands and look you in the eye and wipe the tears away. And when he does, let the worship begin, man. You're going to fall on your knees. Can you imagine the magnitude of this moment when heaven and earth meet? No wonder John had a hard time find adjectives to describe it. Family, I don't care what's going on or what's happening in your life. You do whatever it takes to make sure when the dust settles, you're standing next to Jesus. It's going to be amazing. We want everybody standing there. That's why this church is going to learn how to make disciples who make disciples. We should have been doing this all along. We got the teams almost in place. Uh, you know, Chastines are teaching us about our money. That's going to continue. We're trying to get all the ducks together so when we make these disciples, we can teach them all about Christ. It's coming. Number one, we're all standing before God. Number two, God always keeps His Word. And number three, you better get ready. You need to be ready. Uh, your wimpy preacher ought to be talking more like this. Because I'm telling you, Jesus told story after story after story in the New Testament to remind everybody there's only two destinies eternally. Heaven and hell, there's nothing in between. I know that's not politically correct. I know it's not popular teaching with the young crowd today. Everybody's all about universalism and everything's going to work out fine. But that's not what the Bible says. Revelation 21, 7 and 8. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I'll be their God, and they'll be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, idolaters, and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. And like it or not, hell is a real place. There's over 218 verses to describe it. If you believe the Bible, and I do, then you've got to believe that. It's a nasty place, and we want to keep as many people as we can from even moving in that direction. It's ugly. I was talking to a friend of mine just last year, and he'd had a conversation, a long-running conversation with a gal at his work who was an atheist. And uh, he finally, after several conversations, 
said to her, and I'll call her Margaret because he spoke her name, and you've probably done this or heard this before or used it before, but he said, Margaret, if I'm wrong and you're right, isn't that good, by the way? My dad used to say, if Christianity is wrong, it isn't. But he said, even if it's wrong, it's still the best way to live. And he said, Margaret, if I'm wrong and you're right, I've lost nothing. But honey, if I'm right and you're wrong, you've lost everything. And you know what she said to him? She said, I'm willing to take that chance. That's mind-blowing. And it blows my mind how many people are running around right now with that kind of attitude, ready to roll their dice on eternity. Either out of apathy, or out of disbelief, or out of I'm putting it off. One way or another, they're ready to roll the dice on whether this is real or not. That blows me away. And I'm going to tell you something else. I've never met one person in my life, I've never read about one person in my life, that I want to see at the end of this thing and say to them, well, now you're going to get yours, because hell is a nasty place, and you've never met anybody you want to see go there. You and I are not part of a church who is looking for an I told you so moment. We're part of a body of Christ who want I love you so much moments. We want to talk to the people in our family and the people at our work and people in our school and tell you, look, I love you so much, I just got to tell you about Jesus. I mean, I, I don't want to offend you, but I got to tell you. I mean, you just got to know. I love you so much, I got to talk to you about a life that is rich and full right here with all the garbage that can be rich and full and, and eternal. I, I love you so much, I've got to talk to you about It's common. Look, man, everybody knows something's coming. The world's on fire everywhere you look. And I want to talk to you. I love you so much. I've got to talk to you about when that day comes, when the dust settles. I don't want you to be standing in condemnation. I want you to be standing in celebration. I want to talk to you about Jesus. That's why we, every week at this church, we come down here and offer the invitation to come. That's why the baptistry is always full and warm and ready to go. We, we want this offer. Christ made this offer. That's why we come around this table every week, the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ, so we can be reminded what we have coming and what it cost him for us to have this. So that's where we're at, 2020. The end's coming sometime. Might be three, three 4,000 years. You're not going to live that long anyway. Let's get ready. We're all going to stand before the Lord someday. Let's stand with Jesus. Let's be with him. Let's... Come right now and accept his broken body and shed blood and say, thank you so much. We love you.